I've watched for six months now, I've watched grown men act like children. And uh, Ticketmaster, they've, they've gone ahead and they've hired six of the most powerful uh, public relations agencies that there are and spending millions of dollars. Uh, this is a real freak out for them. Uh, for us, we just wanted to keep our ticket price fairly low. I mean, didn't expect it to get into this kind of huge national arena at all. It's just, it seems like the smallest deal. We'd like to take care of everything, you know, keep our t-shirts low, our records fairly cheap, and give good artwork. And uh, it, this all is actually peripheral to the music. Uh, and the fact that it's kind of overshadowed it uh, is a little disconcerting. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! everybody welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and we got a great episode for you today we're back to 1995 and we will have a special guest on to join us and talk about it in just a little bit but randy sobel here john farrer over there good evening sir good evening how are you doing great i can't wait to get into this episode with uh, our very special guest deborah mcmurtry yeah two 1995 shows in a row i'm this, this is, is great. Yeah I, love, yeah, I love this. Yeah. Uh, just talking about the time period and the era is just, uh, it is Pearl Jam Prime. It is prime real estate for Pearl Jam. So I always get excited when we get an opportunity to, to discuss it. And we get into a lot of other stuff in this episode. It's uh, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be, there were some things that were cut off. Uh, this was recorded uh a, a couple of weeks ago this was recorded before there was any tour news before there was any album news so we're not really talking about that in this episode so if you're a patron uh you will get an extra episode for this for sure there's a lot of things that were left off the cutting room table so uh you know it's the old patron this this is a patreon episode too deborah is one of our patrons so oh yeah and just keep in mind that this is if this is something you want to do, if you want to come on, join the show, talk about your favorite Pearl Jam show with us and kind of banter Pearl Jam and, and fandom and songs and all that with back and forth with us. We're happy to have you on, uh, you know, for people that are on Patreon. I know a lot of people have signed up and have given us episodes to do. They're on our docket. They're on our list. And for those that haven't yet, uh, you know, feel free. No rush. Hand over an episode and we will get to that to 
you as soon as possible and the not so yeah, we had future. a uh, we had a new patron this week thanks to claire yes who, thank uh, you claire. signed up we've very much appreciated hope you enjoy all the content and like i said it's, it's a great time to sign up with the tour announced the album coming out you know if you if you had gigaton as the album title and dance of the clairvoyance as the first single then congratulations i don't know where you got that from we would have oh. we would have been here for a long time before i guessed those yep uh we'll see what happens if you remember they uh in the 2003 tour they were doing a thing called free jazz where they would just kind of improv and screw around for a little bit and i have a feeling it sounds like that that could resurface on this album you never know uh i mean they're older now they can kind of do what they want they're rock and roll royalty it's uh it's free game, so if it's free jazz, so be it. And uh, if you guys didn't catch, we actually put out a really quick episode talking about all the tour news, talking about all the album news and our expectations. It's on all your podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this right now, you can find that episode probably right next to this episode. So check that out after you're done with this episode. This one's going to be a good one. Don't go away. But again, if you want to sign up to our Patreon and do what Deborah's about to do today, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs, contribute anything you would like to the show. It's only a dollar to contribute to the show and you get access to everything that's in our archive. And uh, stay tuned to our Facebook page tomorrow night, Thursday night, because we're doing another uh, round of Jeopardy. That yes, was a lot of fun are. the first time. The, what, what do we have for a prize this time? Do we know? We are going to give away the same prizes. We're going to give away the okay. uh, merch from the Home and Away shows. So we nice. still have that on the docket. And uh, it's just a fun time. You know, come on down. And even if you don't want to participate, come on down and watch. It, it's it's a really good time. I get to have fun with everybody. And, you know, everyone seems to, to have fun with, with, uh, with Jeopardy. So that's streaming live on Facebook Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. You won't want to miss it. And before we get into doing the show, San Diego, uh, real quick, there are still spots available for the Fantasy League. Not many, but there are a couple if you're interested in doing that. It's like fantasy sports, except you pick songs. You, If they play their songs, then you get points for uh, what you've drafted and... Uh, pretty much that. That, that that's as simple as I can put it but you know there are going to be other rules involved there's going to be different ways that you can get points and it's real lot of fun we did it last uh, last tour and uh, we promised that it's going to be a good time so that's something hit us up on Facebook or all the so- social medias you have to have a Facebook to do it because we do it in do the draft in a group chat uh, hit us up on live on four legs podcast at gmail.com if that's something that you want to do because that's the best place to reach us and if you have any ideas or want to share stories or you know your thoughts on the new album hit us up at our gmail as well so let's get to our guest today she is a she's a trailblazer let's just start off saying that uh she before there was a live footsteps she was the live footsteps analog and uh she shared with us some amazing things and we'll go into that as uh we get along into the episode but um she used to keep her own stats in a notebook and i'm sure a lot of other people did this at the time but she was basically mimicking everything that live footsteps did uh she would mark 
all the songs that she's seen, how many times she's seen them in, you know, encores and, and whatnot. Uh, Daughter she went, tags. <laughs> yup. She went the full way with it. And you can tell it's, it's dated on there. And this is, this is no joke. This is a legit thing. And we'll share it all with you guys uh, after this episode comes out. But uh, she's also a four time live on four legs trivia champion. Ooh, and she is a live on four legs Jeopardy runner up. So, and she's also a friend and a patron, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show, Deborah McMurtry. Hello, everybody. I am fantastic. I'm so excited to do this thing. You have no idea. I am excited to have you as well as John. And, uh, I think that, uh, thanks for doing it, you know, of course, of course we get the San Diego show. We haven't done a San Diego show yet. We haven't even done a lot of West coast shows. Well, cause you guys are East coast, so yeah, but we're, at, I, mean, I mean, yeah, you yes. cover everything, but as far as like your own personal connections to certain shows and moments within shows that you've been to, you've been to East Coast shows. Mostly, yes. Yeah. I, I call that Randy's Hartford bias. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sticking out there. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes it happens, but all right, we're, we're here to talk about San Diego night one of 1995 and Deborah, how old were you when uh, this show was going on? Not to show your age now, but like just, no, just no, to show, show the position. No, you're all good. You can ask me anything. Just make sure you want to know because I'll answer honestly. Um, I was 16. <laughs> I was 16 when the initial June show was supposed to happen and when the November show finally happened. I just okay. turned 16 that May. So this is pretty big impression on you pretty early on in your, I'm going to guess, pretty early on in your concert going. So, yeah, this was actually my first show. Ever? Wow. Yeah. Like, well, I guess I had seen Johnny Cash at, like, the National Orange Show with my parents when I was, like, four or something. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> that. So. <laughs> I, I, I saw James Taylor, apparently, when I was five years old, but, uh, like... That can't count. Hey, if, if you see the man in black, it counts. See, that's kind of what I was, that's I the part I was playing. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think you have to take it where uh, where you can get it. You also saw some legend at this show, too, which we'll get to a little little while. But, um, so, yeah, first show, like, what's going through your 16-year-old head at the time, like, process of getting tickets? Who are you going with? All All this stuff. Oh my. All right. Well, <laughs> I think uh in between you can hear her flip through the notebook she's doing. I know. I know. I have on my pages. I have on my notes. Again, um, in between Deborah. in between daughter and corduroy, Ed does a little speech about how difficult it was um to be in that room. He said blah blah blah. Uh we've been through a lot to get into this room tonight. And oh my gosh, was he hitting the nail on the head. So the first time I ever heard Pearl Jam, like heard them ever, um, was at the end of the school year dance, my seventh grade year. So like the end of May, beginning of June, um, 92 and they played Jeremy and just like something just like was crawling out of my soul. Like, what is this sound? Oh my gosh. And as soon as the song was over, I ran up to the DJ and I was like, who is this? <laughs> he said Pearl Jam. And that was kind of the end of it. And then, I mean, just bonkers, crazy fan, just absorbing everything and reading everything that I possibly could. I got my first CD player so that I could go buy 10. 10 was the first CD I ever bought. Same here, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just a ton. Well, 
I have a sister who's six years older than me. And she didn't go to a concert until she was 18. So the rule was I wasn't allowed to go to a concert till I was 18. Oh, that's not fair. So I, I know, right? Um, well, it was a phase that I was going to grow out of in my parents' eyes. And I still ask my mom, I'm like, so is this still a phase? Like I still <laughs> go to millions of shows. <laughs> <laughs> so insert three years of hardcore pressing arguing almost every day about letting me go to a concert and finally my dad's like we should probably just take her <laughs> and so um it was like may 10th of 95 i was in a band which was nothing spectacular and we were playing um our guitarist's little brother's birthday um on the roof of their house and when we were done we jumped into the pool and then my parents came and picked me up and took me soaking wet to my dad's office cuz there was two phone lines and remember this wasn't internet days this wasn't a ticketmaster show you had to call ETM and it was this 800 number and you could only get two tickets at a time and we needed three to go because one of the stipulations of being able to go was that my mom would come with me and then my friend, he was my friend at the time, and then we actually started dating before the November show. Uh, my friend Josh was going to come with us too. So me, my mom, and Josh. And I was like, there's no way we're going to get through ever. And then there's no way we're going to get through twice. So either Josh isn't going or none of us are going. Like something's going to happen. But um, soaking wet and all of us on two phones, we got through twice and we got the three tickets that we needed which was absolutely shocking to me, absolutely shocking. And then um, the show was set for June 26th. There was only one show initially in June. And we had a family reunion in Illinois. And so we're back in Illinois. We're flying home on the 26th. We get to the airport um, at, where were we at? Oh, St. Louis. We get to St. Louis Airport. I pick up a newspaper because that's what you did back then. And we take off and we're in the air and I open the newspaper and in the middle of or on the front page of the calendar section is like Pearl Jam cancels tour. And I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> like, we're flying home right now to go see them tonight. <laughs> like, what is going on? It was horrific. It was the most horrific sinking. My world was ending like this thing that I had wanted so badly for so long was so close. And then I just it wasn't there. And so I think we had a layover in Dallas or something. And I called Josh and I was like, the tour's canceled. He's like, I know, I saw it. And we were just like, what are we going to do? I guess we'll still hang out because like, what else are we going to do? And so got home, hung out. It was horrible. We were there, not happy with anything. There really is no worse feeling than the anticipation leading up to a show and then the day of the show or, the, or mm -hmm. two days before the show, it, the ball just dropping. Mm -hmm. And it's ha happened to me before, I want to say on two or three different occasions, where even at times where I've gone to the venue and there are no cars parked in the parking lot until oh, somebody no. pulls up right alongside you and says, hey, uh, Greg Graffin has bronchitis, uh, show's, show's canceled. Oh, what do you Yeah, that happened to me in, in Raleigh when I had tickets to that Pearl Jam Raleigh show and they canceled it. And I was going to get the kids, I think, two days before. So luckily I didn't make that drive. But yeah, that was crushing. I can only imagine what it, what it would have been like if I was 16. And your first show that yeah. you fought, literally fought for for three years. Oh, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. 
So, I mean, whatever, life goes on. At some point between, like, around July, August, September, I think it was further down towards September, of course, I got in trouble for who knows what because I always was on restriction for some reason. And I remember being in my kitchen, and my mom got a phone call um, asking if we'd be interested in a rescheduled show. And she looks at my dad, and she's like, Ron? I don't know. Are we interested in a rescheduled show? And my dad was like, I don't know. And she looks me dead in the eye and tells the people on the phone, no, we're not interested and (laughs) hangs up. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, I was always in some kind of trouble, but really it was minor trouble. I wasn't a bad kid at all, but you know, whatever. It was whatever. That was the only leverage they had, I guess. So then of course I was devastated and Josh was sad and whatever, whatever. And then one day tickets just show up at our house anyways. And I'm like, what is happening? And my mom's like, yeah. And were they from, sorry, were they from the band or were they from ETM? No, they were from ETM and they were like, you know, they're the bigger printed on tickets. So like our second set of tickets had the point man on it. Whereas our first set of tickets had that cool Pearl Jam beetle. Bug thing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the it, I, I don't want to call it a stick man because it's obviously not stick man, but it was like this weird. I don't know. It's this well, weird gangly man. guy. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was he was cool. He was on a bunch of those stubs back in the day. He was kind of cool. Yeah. So my mom was like, "Wait, how did this happen?" And she pulled up her old credit card receipts or statements or whatever and they reversed the charges so technically the three of us saw Pearl Jam for free wow that at least was super awesome I wonder if they were calling to offer tickets to the second show that's what I was wondering too because the part that was confusing me with that whole scenario was like why was there two shows especially after that radio interview like why was there two shows if there was originally one and there really weren't any Ticketmaster. So I hit up my friends, um, John and Calvin, who both um, were at the eleven seven show. And I asked them just today, I'm like, where did you get your tickets? <laughs> and they were like, on the phone. We had to like sit on hold and press redial for like an hour to get them. And I was like, okay, so you were supposed to go to the original Del Mar show. And he goes, yeah. I go, well, then why were there two shows? I said, was what, were the Del Mar Fairgrounds like that much bigger than the sports arena and um my friend john was saying yeah that's probably 25 to thirty thousand at the del mar fairgrounds and i think concert chronology had um had the sports arena show listed as twelve thousand people so that makes more sense yeah because i don't i don't think they sold i don't think there were any sold tickets to the november shows that were not previously unless it was people like no, I don't want the tickets for the rescheduled show because I'm not going to be there. I mean, there could have been a few leftover tickets, but from what I can tell, they were just from the initial June show. And, and yeah, and you get an idea of how big a deal this was. Like getting Pearl Jam tickets in 1995, like they're the biggest band on the planet. Mm-hmm. And for them to decide not to use Ticketmaster, it made things a lot harder for kids and people, even though they were trying to do the right thing you had to jump through so many hoops and like Mm -hmm. you forget like what a big deal it was. Cause now like you get tickets on your phone and like you scan your phone, whatever, it's not a big deal, but you had to get a physical ticket and you had to hold on to it. You had to keep it. Like 
it was a huge deal to get actual tickets to these shows and to, you know, we kind of take for granted, you know, the Ticketmaster thing is sort of lost to history and the people, maybe the younger people don't understand what it was like, but it was, that was a huge deal in 1995. Well, Ticketmaster was the only place you could get tickets. Like there wasn't even like ticket flyer, whoever else is out there doing tickets. Now you can do a lot more independently. Well, now, even if you go through Live Nation, it's owned by Ticketmaster, so that's a second outlet, but it's still technically the same venues as Ticketmaster does. That's true. That's very true. I want to just go back real quick, because you mentioned Del Mar Fairgrounds, and we talked about this before uh, we hit record, so I just want to kind of clarify for some people that might have been a little confused by that. Um, So... The initial show when they were going through, this was before the Golden Gate incident and everything happened, uh, the show was planned for the Del Mar Fairgrounds in San Diego. And then they had canceled it because the city thought that Ed would be inciting riots, something along those lines. Uh, Can clarify that with me? It's a little confusing. I think just that there was going to be so many fans, not that Ed would be like, hey, let's go fight everybody. <laughs> right. I think the terminology coming from uh, from them, they, they thought that he was going to get the crowd rowdy and riled up when there was no nothing on record that there was ever any police incidents at a show at the time. There was one there was one thing that Ed mentions in this radio clip uh uh, from a Miami show, but he said that that even got blown out of proportion. So I'm not, I, I have to research that a little more. I don't really know what the Miami incident is, but they change it to the sports arena and the sports arena is technically affiliated with Ticketmaster, but the band finds a way to get around that. The sports arena, we talked to the, the sports arena themselves and they said we could work this out and they could play, uh, we could play there and they didn't feel like it would be uh, in conflict with their Ticketmaster contract. They have a contract with Ticketmaster that Ticketmaster sells all their tickets. The reason they felt they could do this show was the fact that tickets weren't being sold for the show. The tickets were already sold. They weren't, they were sold for the other venue. Uh, it was an agreement between us and the sports arena. Um, and the sports arena, they had to deal with Ticketmaster and they apparently cleared it. Now here's where it got confusing, I believe, because I think Ticketmaster jumped on the fact that we were gonna do one of their venues and they began telling how we struck a deal they, uh, I need to explain this here because you're going to hear that Ticketmaster uh, is going to donate the money that they receive from the concerts to charity. Uh, there's no tickets being sold for this concert. I don't, I, we don't know what money they're talking about. Um, there's no deal between us and Ticketmaster. We're not playing Ticketmaster shows this summer. Uh, if, 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 if I don't play, if I can't play another show, Without it being Ticketmaster or the band can't play, I don't, you know, I think we could deal with that. We'll make records. They saw an opportunity to, to like, go after the band a little bit and say, oh, look, look, they gave up. They're playing when that wasn't actually the case. No, no. So, all right, let's uh, let's get into the actual show itself. Uh, this is kind of a small little string of shows at the end of 1995. It's really, this is really the end of the Vitalogy era. Uh, the next time that they would really be on tour would be no, for No Code. So 
Um, you get these four or five uh, California shows, and we did San Jose months and months ago, well over a year ago. Matt and I did San Jose. It was one of our very first shows. Uh, and that was a huge crowd. I think like 40,000 40, to, to 50,000, something like that, played an outdoor uh, football stadium. And this is a little different. This is a 12,000 seat arena and this is a little more intimate. And this is also, you know, this is kind of a hometown show for Ed cause he's, uh, you know, he's from the San Diego area. Um, so really at the time, like they are, they can't be bigger. They're at the height of their popularity. So what's, what's the buzz going on in, in school? You must've been like an 11th grader or 10th grader or something like that. Um, I was in 11th grade. It, it was okay. the summer show was supposed to be in between 10th and 11th. Um, so we had a small group. We always called ourselves the OG five, <laughs> like the five of us that were the Pearl Jam fans, you know, from the very beginning to kind of steal from a tool line there. Um, instead of being OGT, we were OG five. And, um, I knew that, our friend Josh Wilkes was going so many Joshes. There was the guy I was dating named Josh, Josh Wilkes, who we just called Josh Wilkes, and he's fine using his name. Um, and then our friend Danny Wilson, same thing. And then um, Becky Rios, who I don't know if she even made it to these shows, but I knew that me, Josh, Josh, and Danny were going to be at these shows. And so it was just a countdown. Like I remember we'd all write notes back and forth to each other every day because, you know, you don't text back then. <laughs> There's no internet, no cell phones. And um, I could not wait until three days before the show because then I could like sign off, sign last exit on everything. And like <laughs> only the people that got it, got it. And so like all of my homework and everything that day was like last exit, last exit. Because, you know, three days, not much longer. And, um, like and then day of the show... My parents were like, okay, we'll, we'll drive y'all down to the sports arena. And we have friends in San Diego. We had been to Del Mar Fair, I don't even know how many times on 4th of July to watch fireworks. Very familiar with the area. How far is it away from uh, where you grew up? Um, it's about 100 miles. Okay. Pretty directly south. So we pile in the van. We drive down to San Diego. We do not get there as early as I wanted to get there because, you know, I've read all the things and I'm like, we have to get there early and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exactly. So my dad drops us off. He's just going to go hang out with our friends in San Diego or whatever. And um, we're standing in line and the doors are about to open and there's this guy that, you know, the whole building is circular. It's just this giant cylinder of a beautiful building. And there's this guy that's like walking around the long ass line and he's like stopping at certain people and like whispering something to them. And me and Josh are like, what is he saying? What is he saying? And he stops right at us and he's like, floor seating, north entrance, floor seating, north entrance. And I was all, what? And so we shoved all of our stuff into my mom's arms and we're like, love you, bye. We got to go. And so we ran around to the north entrance and there was like this big like chain link fence gate thing and we barely got in before they closed that chain link fence and then you know we waited there for a while and then they opened the doors and um checked our tickets as we walked through gave us our floor wristbands which i still have they're yellow with a little sunshine on them and you know eventually lead us down the stairs and we come in the back of the sports arena that is basically empty because like the rest of the seated people haven't started coming in yet and everyone is just running up to the front of the barricades and like 
sitting down to like claim their space, just sitting across like a precursor to the GA line. Totally, totally was. So the fact that we even got floor access is just crazy. So then we're like running up. We sit. So do you, sorry, do you think they, they picked you up because you guys were young and they knew that you would go crazy? I have no idea. Mm. I have, I mean, maybe I was, I, <laughs> I made a Pearl Jam shirt. I had this little gray t-shirt, like a dark charcoal gray. And so it could I, have been but, someone like with a, with a 10 club, like going around picking people out. Maybe. And then I had like lettered Pearl Jam in like silver that I did with a paint pen and then glitter nail polished over it to set it. And I had my black satin pants and my long old hair. And I mean, we looked like. Oh, we'll get into this, but we, we saw you on the video. Ooh, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my proudest yes, moments of my apparently. life. Oh, and there's a there's a fun little story about that when we get there too. Oh my goodness! So you get in, and the first music that blares out through the speakers is the motherfucking Ramones. Seriously, dude, you have no idea. <laughs> I, first of all, I, this these were the only dates that they did with the Ramones. I think. I think so. The just the San Diego ones. This is. This is the Ramones' last ever tour from 95 in through 96. It's the Adios Amigos tour. And they're done after that. They they never perform live again. So you're getting in on the, the tail end of this, which is kind of incredible. Um, did, did you know at the time, like, how important, how special this was? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't know what was about to happen or whatever not happen as far as Ramones touring, but I knew how monumental they were to music itself, but especially Ed and the band. And, you know, if there were rows, Josh and I were like six rows back. And I swear to you, and my friend John told me this, he's all, you have to talk about how the Ramones played like 25 songs in 30 minutes. And I was all, are you serious? And I looked it up and they played 22 songs in 30 minutes because every song is just like so fast. And the whole time I'm like, Josh, I can't even really enjoy this because I know that the boys are going to be like right there. Like they're going to be right there. Like I need to enjoy this better than more than I am. And I couldn't. (laughs) Do you know the shows on YouTube? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's. I listened to it. It's wait it's the Ramon part. The Ramon show. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Search Ramon San Diego, nineteen ninety five. You'll get. You'll find it. Okay. I should have watched that before watching. Oh, it's no. It's just audio. Still though. It's incredible. Could have had they the go whole through, experience. <laughs> they go through every song. You're. You're right. It was. It was one, two, three, four. Boom. Next song. One, two, three, four. Boom. And they're all. You know. Maybe they stop to talk two or three times and they kind of give like a San Diego. How are ya? Yeah, exactly. Nothing like really in depth and monologue. It's a who's who of Ramon songs. Uh, Teenage lobotomy. Let's Greek Bob. Do you remember rock and roll radio? I believe in miracles. Uh, Shock treatment. Sheena's a punk rocker. Rockaway beach. I mean, these are all classic, classic Ramon songs. So, but no uh, beat on the brat. No, <laughs> I was no. sad about that at the time. Which, even I was like, "Dang it!" At the time, it was I think in the Billy Madison movie. It might have been. Yeah, I don't remember what year that came up. out. But yeah, but, either. Uh, maybe they wanted to get away from that. Who knows? But so the Ramones, amazing. The you got Ramones. to see the Ramones open yeah. up for Pearl Jam of all of all bands, um, and you'd have to be thinking at this point, like. 
you're seeing the Ramones and, and the energy is just, it's high and you can tell oh, it's by palpable. To, yeah. You, yeah. Can taste, you can taste it easily. They got like a half hour in between bands that you have to just sort of just slow down a little bit. And, uh, that's funny that you say half hour between bands to slow down because what you must know about my darling mother is that at the time she was a um, English teacher at our high school. We only have one high school in, in my little town, and um, of course she's the one that had to go with us because my dad's like, I can't handle that noise. And so in between sets, she pulls out her stack of English essays and starts no. grading them. And some people next to her were like, "Are you grading papers at a Pearl Jam show?" And she's like, yep. <laughs> like are you kidding me right now and she was just so proud of like blowing people's minds because she was doing her job at a pearl jam show you know ramones just played no big deal pearl jam's about to be on no big deal i have stuff to do Ugh, love you ma (laughs) so then what you also must know is that by the time the lights went down just before pearl jam came out everyone had smashed so far forward And we already were so close to the front. Like the way I've always described it to people is like I had, of course I had Doc Martens. I had the like ball of my foot. My heel was not on the ground. The ball of my left foot was on the ground. The ball of my right foot was on top of my left foot. And then if you can picture like kelp waving in ocean currents, like that was us. We had maybe a... five inch by five inch square of space that was really yeah, our you, own you think about an all general admission everyone thinks oh this yeah. is the part where i'm going to get to the front yes yes yeah. it was crazy it was super hot you can't even see it in the um youtube videos but the barricade was not just a straight line it was set like a t so it kind of curved and then came up the middle a little bit and so we were we were in the curve on stone side because Every show for the rest of my life is always Mike side, Stone side. That's how we find out where our friends are. Well, where are you? I'm on the left. Well, is that Mike side or Stone side? Oh, I'm on Mike side. Oh, okay, I know where to find you. <laughs> so we were Stone side, but towards the center, and um, they they turned the lights down, and there were candles everywhere. There was like that lampshade that you could see, yeah. this giant chandelier, like. The ambiance was perfect, absolutely perfect. They didn't do a lot with their set decorating at the time, and that kind of became a theme going forward. A lot of bands started to use, like, video backgrounds and video screens and lights, and they were very basic. They had a white backdrop, like you said, the candles and just... uh, Colored lights. It's always been about the music. Absolutely, and that's what I've appreciated best about them is... I mean, I, I love going to shows that are shows, like... A Rob Zombie show is incredible, but that's not who our dudes are. And I, right. I appreciate that they recognize that about themselves to just be like, here, listen to what we're doing. So lights went down. They had the purple lights on. Josh and I were losing our minds. And then they started playing um, Brian Eno's An Ascending Ascent. And you can kind of hear that at the beginning of any of the bootlegs because the shows were um, broadcast. I think both nights were. And that's why you have such amazing clarity in the recordings. Um, but I didn't even know that that's what that song was until another friend of mine um, and I were in the movie theaters watching Traffic, which was like January of 2001. And I'd met him buying bootlegs at Best Buy of the 2000 shows. 
which is crazy. <laughs> we're sitting there watching traffic and the movie ends and the credits start to roll and this song comes on and it's Brian Eno's an ending ascent. And I just like stopped and like grabbed onto the armrest and like tears just started streaming down my face. He's like, Deb, are you okay? And I'm like, this is the music that they played right before Pearl Jam walked out for my first show. Oh my gosh, what is this? And so like we sat through the whole credits, like me just like sobbing with like memories and like, this is so beautiful and figured out that, yep, there's a Brian, you know, song. And then Purple Lights, they walk out and the opening drone of release everybody waving like seek help going crazy crying singing all the words it was beautiful nothing will ever ever match that moment see this with a lot of people that I come across. Um, we have this, I feel like people that go to shows for the first time, their first ever show and they get released as the opener. We have some certain, there's a bond between those people that it's, it's the first song that they've ever heard. And it's sort of like this religious experience that, you know, I went for years where I never wanted to hear release again because it was never going to match that one cathartic moment that I had. But I, I feel like more than even other slow songs like Long Road or Sometimes or, uh, you know, any anything else that's in the usual rotation, Oceans in the usual rotation of openers, there's nothing that beats release as a first-time opener. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I agree with you. And I mean, that that song was already super monumental to me because I used to go to sleep at night with, you know, my two big cabinet speakers. I would lay on my ground, on my ground, (laughs) I would lay on the ground in my sleeping bag and have my two cabinet speakers pointed right at my head. And I would just have that song on repeat. And I mean, it, it got me through some shit, man. I identify with it very strongly. I know a lot of people do. If you're listening to this podcast right now and release hasn't gotten you through some shit, like that's, um, I mean, you have a spectacular life, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I, I don't. Animal comes on and okay. this so, is, yeah, okay, this but is let important. me tell you the end of release, the end of release 
we're already so smashed that we can't breathe. Like it was scary. All I could think of was like the who in what was it? 1979, 11 people dying at their show. Oh, I was like, yeah. like literally I was all, we're going to die. Josh, we're going to die. Like, and we look to our right. Can we get out that way? No, a bazillion people can get to our, go out to our left. A bazillion people turn around, look back even more people. And I'm like, okay, I just, I hope they do another slow one so we can weasel our way out of there. Ugh. And they slam in with animal and everyone's going crazy. And I'm like, we're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> so what's I your mean, one and only way out of that situation? So some guy that's just next to us, like Josh was like, can we get out? Can we go past you? And the dude's like, grab her leg. And Josh is like, what? And I'm all, what? And he's all, grab her leg and before I know it I'm like floating on top of people towards the stage <laughs> and like I'm rolling over people I got my boots on I have super long hair then still and like at one point uh, you know like the your, the ankle of your boot where it like makes the little L got stuck on some dude's like neck and I was like I'm sorry I'm sorry and he's all are you apologizing to me as I'm like tumbling away and I'm like okay and they're like that is so bizarre and so, yeah, I, I get crowd surfed to the front, which my mom remembers very well because the last thing she told me was no crowd surfing. And she swears that in that moment, she saw me and stood up, papers in hand, and said, That's my daughter! I told her not to crowd surf! <laughs> I just was like, Oh my gosh. God bless the people around you because, like, you must have been a sight to see. And so, yeah, I got, I got crowd surfed up during Animal. Kind of, kind of massively significant moment there, right in front of Ed and between him and Stone. And that gets captured on the video on YouTube. So yes, it does. It is at the um, 7:50 mark. If anybody is interested, all the watchers <laughs> out there, head on over. See Deb <laughs> in the air. Her long you hair. See my, you see my arm and boot first, and then you see me kind of sit up like I'm in a recliner chair and go over the edge. Bottom, bottom right corner, I think. Yeah. So that gave you some space. So where did you end up ultimately after all, after that? Well, so then I was kind of like, you know, you get to the barricaded area and then they like send you out to the side. Right. And then I'm like, um, now I'm now you're all the way in the back. Right. Well, no, now I'm by myself because Josh is oh. still out there in the crowd and there's nobody out in like the parts where you buy your merch and all that. There's nobody there. They're in the show. But then I see jessica which is josh wilk's sister and i'm like oh my gosh and she's like debbie i'm like jessica and so i go all the way up to where hers and josh's seats are which were like nosebleed side stage stone side and like we watch josh get crowd surfed out so then i run back down get him we go back up to josh and jessica's seats and then eventually get back down onto the floor i think we were back down on the floor by or during not for you so i mean we had three four long songs of trying to find each other and right. getting our place and yeah we did end up towards the back of the floor but if you were looking at the floor you know you're looking at the oval that is the floor it was only like two thirds full of people the back third was empty and I remember thinking, like, why was why didn't they let more people? And somebody, I don't remember who, was like, the, the well, whisper didn't tell everybody. 
Well, no, they're selective. The floor was at capacity. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah, was, was just pushed, pushed up, yeah. that far forward that it left the back uh, third yeah. open. Okay. And I was like, holy cow. So we That's really perfect. were, we really were about to die. <laughs> like, I'm glad we got out of there. <laughs> so set list wise, after Animal, you're getting Last Exit, Even Flow, Dissident, Not For You, and Rearview Mirror. For this whole section, like you said, you were trying to find uh, Josh and trying to kind of find your way back. Um, but what's, uh, what stands out and anybody can kind of shout out during this, what, what stands out in this whole really meaty first part here? That's really good. Well, what I noticed about the set list is it goes, um, 10 versus Vitology, 10 versus Vitology. And I think I, that's a pretty badass that. run. That's awesome. Oh, you yeah. know, he did that on purpose that that was something they, that he was, he, he like, he's getting a little cute with that. Mm hmm animal they're absolutely on fire like it just explodes in that building like you can tell from watching the video that that they are just like you know you you can drop in the clip of the the kid from almost famous saying incendiary i'm incendiary too man it applies here like they are absolutely on fire yeah like unbelievable energy coming off that stage you could tell which is crazy too because these were the last two shows but I don't think it really registered with me at the time, especially that they had just played a few shows. You know, in my mind, right. it was our show that got canceled and our makeup dates. And this was like all they were doing with their lives. And it wasn't. And like, and not for you is so good. Like Ed rocking out on the guitar. Like he, he puts the guitar on for not for you in rearview mirror. Stone gets a nice little solo. And then Ed and Jeff are kind of at the drums, like jamming out with Jack. Like it's, really cool like i love this version not for you love rearview mirror love animal mm-hmm. it's this whole first seven eight songs is is just fantastic i want to talk about rearview mirror just yes please me too um <laughs> position wise during this little california stretch here where they were making up the shows from uh, the golden gate park park incident this was kind of slotted number seven and it's interesting because obviously we know it today as, you know, a a closing set or an encore closing set, uh, song. And I, I, I really like it early in the set because it just, it brings a definition into where you are in the set where you're kind of, you know, you got a couple of really speed rockers in there. Not for you is, is, one of the biggest headbangers that they have at the time. And then rearview mirror without even thinking about changing the pace is changing the pace. It's, you know, it's setting sort of a new ground and they do it with other songs. Now they'll tend to do it like with a song that would come after rearview mirror, but I love the, how they transition. They go from rearview mirror into elderly woman. And it's just, instead of doing what they would do nowadays, they would do, I don't know, uh, something like a severed hand one of those you know first four or five and you know put a cap on that and then okay let's play one of the soft ones before we play even flow it's sort of a formula to it but this feels more natural it doesn't feel formulaic at all yeah no not at all and even the breakdown um, of this particular version too it just it feels so jammy and organic and
yeah, I had a complete and utter moment to myself. Like Josh and I were, you know, back together and at the back of the um, floor and we had space and air and we could move. And I'm, I'm very physically clumsy. Like I'm not a dancer. Like I, I say, I don't, I don't dance at shows. I bounce like that's all I can do. But I mean, I was back just stomping my feet and like slamming my hair. And like, I just had this like outer body, emotional, cathartic experience to this song. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be piece of cake. Just watching the show. And like during that part of that song, like I was getting all teary. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like that, like that moment just solidified it for me. Like, yes, this is, this is the band that speaks my language that I can be myself around. It was crazy. And it seems like it's not just Rearview Mirror that they're doing some extended jams on here. There are other songs that come up later in the set where it's like, okay, that had a little bit of something extra on it. That had a little bit of something extra on it. Like, and this is really the time Rearview Mirror starts to transition from, you know, an ordinary song in the set where you can hear it uh, pretty much played verbatim on the album to, okay, this is where something special is about to happen with a, with a special song. So after this, we start to see 96, 98, 2000 versions where this extended jam becomes the normal process that they go through with the song and whether or not it's kind of, this was very sort of experimental, uh, experimental. And it's, and it's never been like, I don't want to say tainted, but it's never been, it's never had another song tagged on. Like sometimes you right. mix your lyrics, but yeah. they kept it pure. It's not something yeah. where you, they, they didn't throw on a Pink Floyd song at the end of it or anything. Sure. Like yeah. it is, it is what it is. And it's, it's it got that alone. pure mm-hmm. energy to it. Yeah. It's so good. It is. Love this version. Yeah. You kind of need the next song to sort of get a little bit of a breather. Um, Definitely. I want to, to cleanse the bit. palate. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Elderly Woman because it's been a while since we've done an early version, and but this is very standard, straight to the point to the album, and it just has a more relaxed feel to it since it's that way. Now, now they're I don't know if they're trying to speed it up or or what they're doing or if they're just kind of bringing a sing along melody to, but this is. Earlier versions, they they happen to create a sing-along song that doesn't have to be a sing-along. Correct. Nowadays, they are saying, hey, here's a sing-along for you guys, and we're going to make it a sing You know, I, I like versions of Elderly Woman that fit in this. Did you know that the hello was already a thing? You can kind of hear the crowd uh, in the in the recording go for it. Were you, were you aware that that was a thing that were you trying to scream as loud as possible? No, I think it's just something that everyone wanted to participate in. It wasn't like, oh, this is what everyone does, so this is what we're going to yeah, do. It's it, just it like we're singing along, it, and there's it started so organically. much. Like it, yeah, there was never a there was never like a forum thing like, oh, we're doing this now. It just sort of happened. Right, right. And I don't even know if there were if there were forum forums back in '95. Even like, you know, I think there it wasn't was just concert. starting. It was just starting. I think you had like. I think I remember some rumor pits around 95, 96. So it was, it was around, but it was in yeah, the I think 96, 96, 97, like my senior year. It's like the first time I ever was on the internet and it was I, a 
quiet, tiny place. <laughs> Next chunk of songs in this set. Go Tremor Christ. Why go Jeremy Deep? Real quick on Go and Tremor Christ. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, and again, this is this just goes back to Pearl Jam has always been completely unpredictable in their sets. Because if you look at 95 sets, Go is... You know, if they're starting with release or oceans, it's more than likely 80% of the time going to go go animal. And I think it's interesting here that they're bringing you back into sort of a cool down with go. And along with that, Tremor Christ is somewhere where that first section kind of trails off into a different direction. It would be either the fourth or the fifth song after a last exit or a dissonant cool down. Yeah. Yeah. And here you get them together, which I find kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you see that a lot in this era. I'm not sure. I honestly didn't follow other set lists at that point in time. It wasn't till 98 that I was really, on it so I didn't really have a comparison I just was there with my aperture set to open and absorbed all yeah, of it it's it's kind of like a restart like release through small town is like a section and then go mm-hmm. kind of restarts everything mm-hmm. and you're you're back in it again immediately and then you go you know you have why go and why go again is another one that's sort of an early an earlier you know warm-up kind of song so you're sort of you're sort of changing pace three or four songs here, which is an interesting dynamic. They make it work, but uh, you don't see that a lot. That's... Yeah, it's not predictable at all. Yeah. And I, I still, of... to this day, sing Tremor Christ. Like, I don't know if you noticed at the part at the end where he goes, Triumphant are the angels if they can. Mm-hmm. And I always have never sung it any way other than that since that night. (laughs) I'm like, that's how the song goes now. (laughs) And you get these three 10 songs in a row. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting to hear Jack on those. Like, you don't get a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of of data around for Jack playing songs from 10. But it was so interesting to hear him, how he played those. There's not a lot of versions of him playing Why Go, that's for sure. Right. This might be the last one for all we know. It wasn't played after '95. All right. And then I think this so, was the this was the next to last deep two. I think they played it the next night and then abandoned it for that a year. Makes sense. And this, yeah. but this version of deep is so good. Like they they kind of tried something new where like the instruments all drop out at the end and it's oh, just that was a twist and they come back in. It's so good. Position 
thing and it's just screaming at the end like yeah i thought it was fantastic amazing well and and deep also kicks off the run of 10 versus vitology no code mm-hmm. so mm. that was a fun little run also he doesn't really intro Lucan at all. It's more. I remember people before the album came out. It was just like, oh, there's a really new one that's like super fast. It's gonna be crazy. Yeah, yeah. It had another name for a while. I don't remember what it was. I know I have it on one of my bootlegs somewhere. But we were like, ooh, that thing's fast. That's a that's a bagel question. He would know instantly because you got you know Lucan and, and Habit were like two of the mm-hmm. first ones to come on. You're like. This yep. album is going to be fucking crazy. Fire, and then it's not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, I love the album. It's one of, of my favorites, course. but it's not. It, that didn't set the pace. Those, for the those, are the, those are the two outliers on it instead of the main right. part of it. Yeah. I don't want to skip over Daughter. You get yes, a, no, we that, don't, sorry. That, that dog <laughs> tag. I love that. I love that dog. I love when they do that. This boy yeah. tag. It's, it's That was the last time they ever did it, too. Is mm-hmm. it really? Yeah. I loved it. And it's crazy because looking at the um looking at the data on live footsteps, it almost looks like they went from daughter to another brick in the wall to this boy, but they Which did this not, boy before. Yeah. Right. yeah. And you get like it's this is one of those we've done a lot of like this is kind of the like you mentioned, it's the end of the Vitalogy era. Like mm-hmm. when they would come back in ninety six, everything was different. Yes. Right. That that showbox show in September ninety six kind of starts a whole new era so yep, this is kind of the it. end of like you know we talked about you know why go got dropped deep gets dropped a lot of those songs 95 was the last time they showed up and when they came back they were they were a different band yep yep they were and what's funny is that like a song like corduroy at this point i don't know what people are thinking as far as like best songs off vitalogy at this point corduroy would have to be up there you would think but it's not getting the presence in the set that it does nowadays where it's like okay corduroy is an extremely prominent spot being the second or third song in the set it it was usually placed sort of somewhere middle end ish like uh, the 12th or 13th song where it's placed here and this is kind of what I was saying before with Rearview Mirror. They were kind of able to extend their palate a little bit. Jam yeah. Out that a little long bit at the end. jam is. Whew.
the Evolution episode, the Salt Lake City is almost like a seven-minute version. So they're coming off of that where, you know, they they were already, like, working on jamming out the ending a little bit. Yeah, it's really cool. What I'm trying to get at here is that I think that once they really start to figure out what this song is live and it starts to get popular sort of in the middle of the set, they start to think to themselves, okay, well, what can we do to it to get the crowd going early? And I think that's where... I would say that 96 was still kind of, they were playing around with it a little bit. It would, it would get into find its way earlier in the set, but I think it wasn't until 98 where they really started. That was really a thing where Corduroy was kind of your kickoff to the show. So, but I mean, it's also, those versions are different than what and, this you version know, is. And you think about 98 too, they were, Cameron had to learn all those songs and yep. A, a few a weeks very so, short amount of time right? and, and corduroy was one of the ones that they <laughs> they pushed to the front so it those songs that he the first ones that he learned kind of became the the backbone of those sets sure mm. so that continues on so corduroy lucan whipping immortality immortality is another one solo Jam. what the yeah. hell was he channeling during that it was bonkers and then he's got, he's got problems, solo <laughs> songs into this first set are you just thinking this is going to go on forever this is the best this is the best thing that's ever happened so it was absolutely suspended animation like the rest of the world disappeared time was not a thing school was not a thing life was not a thing like we got to be in like the birth of a star or some crazy shit like nothing mattered except what was happening and the fact that it kept happening and kept happening and kept happening just felt like this crazy gift that we could not ignore but i mean we had no point of reference again it was just like this this set the tone of what a pearl jam show was for us you, you know i like to talk about moments we'll, we'll talk about moments too but you know animal not for you rear view mirror go mm-hmm. jeremy deep daughter corduroy immortality like this this set does not let up nope never not for one second and immortality to to get you into that alive black blood section which is like is that not one of the best ways to end your first set that you can imagine? Um, that sort of sets the tone for it there. I mean, when you're getting alive, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is it. This is probably maybe it for the show, but at least for the first set. You would See, think. I wasn't even thinking along those lines at that time at all. You were just in, yeah. you were just in the moment. Just- 
Yep. Open. Give it to me. Give me what you're going to give me. Don't give me what you're not going to give me. I'm going to be happy with whatever. Sure. Like, honestly, if they would have stopped playing at the end of release and I had to drive home, I still would have been the happiest person on the planet. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) How good is fucking blood in this show? Like, well, it's amazing. Shit. It's amazing. Like he's banging on the drums yeah, with, the mic the stand stage with the mic stand. Yeah, smashing the stage with the mic stand. Pours wine over himself. Dude, did you guys see that part at the very end? He pours wine over himself. Yeah. He falls backwards, does a backward somersault, and gets up and takes a sip of wine. Like, that didn't just happen. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's falling over himself a lot at this show. He does the, He does kind of like that curl into the corner thing that, that he did on Rear Mirror, too, uh, at the end. And it's just – it's him sort of – feeling another sense of energy and being and drunk, you, I guess. And I you notice too, during, during a live, during the solo, he kind of looks like he's a little bored. Like he doesn't really yeah, know what to do. He, and he, he's like he kind of inspecting the light rig. He, like he, he walks up and he looks up like, should <laughs> yes. I? Maybe? Uh, totally. I'm so glad you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to apply for the job of like Pearl Jam, uh, like fire pyrotechnic. Cause there's a guy, <laughs> There, there's like a candle or it's like some kind of fire behind stone or like behind kind of off the side of the drums. And there's a guy standing there. I've, it looks I've like he's in, he's in charge of the fire. Really? Is that, I was wondering what he was supposed to be doing. It's, I want that I, job too. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I will hold yeah. the lighter and relight all the candles. I'm guessing he's, he's probably he a guitar jack well. too. Right, right. Well, but also remember, this is in San Diego, and oftentimes, you know, Ed even said during his speech earlier about, um, you'll embarrass me in front of my mother, his mom is always at the shows. His brothers are always at the shows. Like, he'll always be like, oh, hey, there's, I don't remember their names now, but he'll, like, point out where his Karen brothers are. Karen is his mom's name? Huh? Karen? Karen. There's a brother, Jason, I think. I don't know. Yeah, there's Jason, yeah. and then there's some. There's another one. A, I can't remember his sister's name right now. It's. It, the, I, I feel like at one of our shows, one of the brothers was like doing the spotlight or something. Like he was up in the rafters. One of his brothers played guitar on stage with him. I got a feeling. That's my little yeah. brother. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah. maybe that was a brother who was just got to be on stage with the lighter and be like, yeah, he's the fire guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know All if right. there's all we can apply for. <laughs> are we uh are we in the encore now? I think I think we, I think we are sort of made After our way a, through. What is it? We a twenty one song first set. Yeah. Like holy shit. That's incredible. You don't at get this. Is, this is right there <laughs> yeah. with Soldier This is right there with Soldier Field as as far as epicness. Like what a set. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Lengthwise, this is two hours and thirty minutes. Setting the bar high for my shows. <laughs> <laughs> for all shows. I, I like I think that they're at this point now where if they play a long show the night before, they're saying, well, you know, if if San Diego finds out that San Jose got three hours worth of show, then they're going to be upset if we don't do that for them. And, you know, then they're just going to have to raise the bar for everybody else. So it's just everybody kind of wins in the end. During his little speech between um, Daughter and Corduroy, when he was like, he was like, well, you know, uh, you know how hard it is. You know that on both sides of this little barrier here, both groups, this one and that one, we've been through a lot to get into this room tonight. All I was going to say is while we're here, since we're here, we're going to play for a while. So just stay comfortable and do your thing. Like, I think that the length of shows on these makeup dates were extra long because they were makeup shows. And then I think mm-hmm. that kind of set the bar for the future 
of then they're going to be comparing and all that. And it just goes to show too how much they cared about the fans and the experience and that they, they actually, you know, they hated to cancel those shows back yes. in June. You know, they, yes. they really wanted to, to put on a good show and make up for the fact that they had to cancel because you never want to have to do that. So you're thinking encore opener here. And this is a song that's not really known to be in the encore, first of all. And well, second of all, released yet. It, it wasn't released yet. You're right. Merkin Ball came out, what, December 95? Um, I yeah. think it was Merkin like Ball. December 2nd or something. Yeah. Right. Um, like a month later. But this has significance to it because this is Long Road. It has you know, an emotional story about why he wrote the song and who he wrote it for. And this goes back to him being in high school for, no, more. that, that explanation isn't until, um, uh, July 7th of 2006, but Ed knows it. And well, Ed, Ed knows, knows this is, that... this is only the fourth time they played it. Exactly. Right. But they're playing it in San Diego where Ed grew up. So there's a reason why they're doing it. Whereas teacher in North County. Yep. played it in the encore three times one of the other early time was san diego in 06 so is that what you're referencing yeah okay so that's kind of cool that you know to get this in the encore two times find out about it 11 years later right that was it was crazy i was at the whole room was in tears that night it was so beautiful in 2006 oh my goodness because I guarantee you a lot of those people were in the room this night when they really played it for the first time in San so, Diego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had obviously just written that song because it was released a month later. And I don't know if you guys caught it at all, but at the um, very beginning, Ed's playing the opening chord and noodling around from I Got Shit. And I was like, oh, wow. A side, B side. Yeah, I don't think I caught it, but that's a good catch. Like a nice, clear strum. Hmm. Some little dee 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 dee. It's a really good long road, and you can tell, you know, Ed's not as outwardly emotional as he is nowadays when he gets into songs like this or a comeback or something that sort of pulls on your heartstrings a little bit. But um, here you can sort of tell that, you know, there's a little something going through him where he's uh, he's having a little moment for himself. Yep. Even if you don't know the song, you can sort of feel that something special is going on, that, you know, the band is tapping into something that is really 
sort of significant. And I remember too, this was a big deal when that Merkinball EP came out. Like there were television commercials. Like it was a big deal to get two new Pearl Jam songs in 1995. This was some that was something that you definitely knew was coming, and like you you went that day and and got the record. Mm-hmm. Yep, midnight release if they had mm-hmm. it. <laughs> that gets us into a tease of so you want to be a rock and roll star. That took us in a habit. They played it the night before in San Jose, and Ben Harper joined. And I remember covering that version, and it was an absolute gong show. Uh, just you know, everybody amongst all the openers was on stage and nobody was singing and, and they were all, you know, five guitars and, and nobody was playing in tune. So this is just kind of Ed just sort of by himself. And it's just kind of a teaser into habit, which is funny because if you look at the actual set list, it's on five horizons. It actually says new song, red mosquito slash brain of J. Well, so, so I don't, I don't know. I was going to bring that up too. I don't think that that's really part of the set list. I mean, I know on the set list scan it has um, Mosquito and Brain of J written to the side, but I don't know if that. What, what they were doing more in 95 was I think they would write out the first initial set. Yeah, and then, whatever... and then they'd come up with the. Right, they're coming up with it on the fly. So maybe that was sort of, they come up with the first set and they're like, okay, in the encore, new one, you know, just sort of jot it down and then look at it later. Well, you know, I'm feel, we're feeling habit for a new song tonight instead of Mosquito or Brandon J. Because they did both of those songs, the San Jose show, and I think they did Mosquito the night after. Yeah, I think they did. It's crazy that Brain of Jay existed that early, though, too, not coming out Insane. until you. Like, February 1998, you're going to play it in fall of 95? Wow. If that opens no code instead of sometimes, think mm, of how different record. different yeah. enough an album. And remember, they, we talked about, too, that Barcelona show, they sound-checked Parting Ways in 1996, yep. so they have a history of, like, really stuff sticks around. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, Habit was making the rounds a little bit this time. You said that you had the Red Rocks bootleg. Uh, this was debuted at Red Rocks, and this was only the fifth fifth time that they played it. So, um, you know, it, it sounds great. I, I got no, nothing bad to say about it. Not it's like not it. sped up. It's not at sonic reducer speed. And I like and I, and I like the tie-in of it kind of fits in the theme of so you want to be a rock and roll star and to yes. have it is a nice right. thematic touch that those well, kind of flow into each other. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I had always considered um rock and roll star as an intro to habit. I have never mm-hmm. like tracked it as a separate song on the set list. It's like a pre-tag right. intro, like an interstellar overdrive or a setting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when that's listed as 23, I'm like, no, it's more like 22 and a half. <laughs> I think it, because it's one of those songs that has been played in full. That's that true. You want to put it towards its numbers. I, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a Dave thing that we can talk to him about, but all right. So we go habit, we go better man. It, it seems that the crowd, this is the one that they're sort of looking forward to at the time. It's the hit, it's the single. And I think this is, this is sort of for some people, this is their night. This is what they were expecting, what they wanted to hear. Well, and I think a lot of that reaction too was that song was familiar, whereas Habit and Rock and Roll Star and Long Road weren't. 
Oh, so yeah. it was like they come back, they come back and do an encore of shit we don't know, and then there's finally something familiar. And I think a lot of you know fans were just like, "Oh, yay! Okay, I know this one. I can participate in this one." And this was kind of a crossover too. I remember in Atlanta, it started getting played on like mainstream adult radio. It wasn't mm-hmm. just on like the alternative stations. Like the pop stations started picking it up. Yeah. And he wrote that song in San Diego too, I believe. Yeah. Right. Um, because that was all Obviously, the bad radio yeah, stuff. Good ending here. You know, Ed talks about the, the ticket situation between Better Man and Leaving Here. And people are screaming, fuck Ticketmaster. And Ed suggests that they go to their office with uh, torches and flames. and But thought maybe they'd go to the more civilized route. And then says that they announced they were able to donate the proceeds $50,000 to Surfrider. So, yeah, because what's included with your ticket when you go to Del Mar Fair, and this is for any concert that happens there, is you get um, a couple extra dollars to play some of the games. And so since oh. we had paid an extra couple dollars to play the games on the Del Mar ticket that we no longer needed, that was kind of like the discrepancy. And I guess the balance of that difference was $50,000. And instead of the band keeping it, they donated it to Surfrider, and I remember that was the first time I'd ever heard of them doing something along those lines and I was like oh that's like the beginning of the Vitology Foundation because right. this is the Vitology yeah. tour and this is the first time this happened and I think that that uh, 95 too was wasn't that the year that the first music for the Mother Ocean compilation came yeah. out um, or was it 96 where the, with Grimmy I, I think it was later Grimmy I think was and then Whale Song was on I think that might have been 96. Don't quote me on it, though. Okay. But Josh and I had barely been together been during this concert. Yeah. Right. Right. I remember me and him going to get that CD. Yeah. Because it had like, you were like, oh, unreleased Pearl Jam song. Yep. So that that was another thing. I think all the proceeds from that went to Surfrider Foundation as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what was Leaving Here for? Because Leaving Here was for something. That was the Home Alive. Got it. For the self-defense mm-hmm. thing for yep. Mia Zapata in uh, Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, that's the next song, what they would go into after this. And I think at that San Jose show, they mentioned something about them not playing this very often or that they were just starting to to get into playing it a little bit more. Uh, this was the... It was uh, the sixth out of sixth. seventh time. Mm-hmm. And the uh, song just fell apart in the middle. It was amazing. <laughs> it they they picked it back up, though. They did a good job with it. No, they did. I loved how it, like completely disintegrated and instead of just abandoning it they like got it back up to where they wanted it to be but it's rare that you see a band completely you know lose all their wheels and then be like kind of happy about it still and get back together usually they'll get all pissed off and but they just like laughing about it it. yeah go ahead and say it john they're adorable (laughs) yeah when i mean the, yeah, they, 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 they get you on their side when they fuck up. Yep. <laughs> you can't help but love them even more. All right, we end the set here. Spin the black circle, porch indifference. Um, it's a pretty energetic and wild ending coming off of leaving here, and it's a good combo. It's a combo that should happen more often. Um, porch is where I, there was something kind of going off on the side stage where Ed sort of runs over to a section. I, don't, I can't really tell what's going on, but you can tell that the crowd is anticipating something or that they're, 
reacting to something. So do you remember what was going on there? Because, I mean, when you think porch, you think... Did he run Mike's side or Stone's side? I think it was Mike's side. Oh, so, I should have paid attention It looked that. like there was like... And was it like a drunk guy tried to get on stage or something? I oh, yeah, yeah. There was a guy that, there was a fan that ran on stage during Spin the Black Circle. Right, right. But then um, during Porch, no, I, I don't recall any of that. Because actually, so way back at the beginning of the show when I had gotten crowd surfed out and then I went up and I was with um, Josh and Jessica until the other Josh <laughs> got crowd surfed out, um, Josh Wilkes was like, Deb, I brought this tennis ball and this rubber band. Like, if you want to throw anything on stage, just rubber band it to the tennis ball. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Wilkes? <laughs> like, are you serious? But then I remembered that I had brought, like, this thing that I had written to Eddie. And then and then my Josh's mom worked for, like, a vinyl sticker company. And so she made, like, these no Ticketmaster stickers. So then I think he jotted something down real quick. So we did most of the show towards the back. But then we edged our way up front. And I think it was during Porch that we had my note and the no Ticketmaster sticker like rubber banded to this tennis ball and threw it up on stage. So I think we were kind of consumed in, is now the right time? Are we going to hit somebody? We don't want to hit somebody. Let's get closer. Well, so I didn't I didn't notice any side stage. Uh, probably a lot of people at the show were also at Indio. So there's probably, I think there were some I, shoes. I oh, saw yeah, there some shoes. shoes. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, was a bunch of shoes. They were, they were trying to get him to go on the shoes rant again. Yep. But yeah, you I definitely recreate the, that. I definitely had the Ticket Bastard shirt in the in the Ticketmaster yep. font. Yep. Be, because of uh because of Pearl Jam. Yep. But yeah, we were Porch hoping is, that the sticker would show up on like somebody's guitar or amp or something. Never, never did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah Porch is oh. Porch is kind of super chill and like a little contemplative. Like it's it doesn't get crazy. It's just kind of like we're kind of ending winding things down a little bit. difference like we said before uh chilling bone chilling just mm-hmm. i mean the, god there's nowhere to go after the rest of the set and like <laughs> you know Ledbetter is getting into sets at this point and it's starting to become a sa- a staple but to close a show with indifference instead of something like upbeat like what's your is it more of a holy shit what did i just see or would you think it would have been more if they finished with porch um i think we kind of needed the calmness and quietness and vulnerable place of indifference because it was such a roller coaster of a show 
It was very uh, emotional. It was very small compared to what they had been doing as far as people in the building. It was very long getting to it. And I think we almost needed it as like a, you know, like a hug or a handshake before walking in opposite directions kind of thing. Right. Right. Sort Not of like how. A, we're going to leave you on fire. <laughs> it was like. Right. The opposite of send, how you started the show where, yeah, you know, you need gently to send you on in. your way. Right. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it. All yeah, right. And I, well, I prefer that to any predictable closer with all the lights on and, you know, I wish they would get back to being more unpredictable at the end. So in they didn't play the sports arena again until 2003. And, I mean, I hadn't seen anybody else in that room. Maybe I saw the Who in that room since then. I don't know. Um, but that tour, the 2003 tour, was when it was like you had chunks of fan club numbers that would get their own mini lottery when you got to the venue. And so we went and we slept in sleeping bags outside of San Diego sports arena. Cause I was so excited to be seeing my dudes in the same spot as when I first saw them and damn it, we were going to be front row if that was going to kill me while well, we didn't get front row. But at two o'clock in the morning, my friend like who's just out running around, literally running around the building comes and he's like, Debs, the gates open. And I'm all, what do you mean the gates open? And you guys have all seen almost famous, you know, when Penny Lane, makes her debut and she's like walking up the ramp from the concert venue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the San Diego sports arena. And that whole, that whole roll, like roll up gate thing was wide open. And I was like, Oh my God. So squirrel went back to where all our stuff was. Yes. His name's squirrel. And then I walked into the San Diego sports arena. There was nobody in there. It was like two 30 in the morning. And I went and I got to stand in the exact same spot that I stood for that this first show in 95 and just look at an empty stage. All their gear was set up. Everything was all ready to go. Like there was the ambient lights and I just got to stand there empty in this room by myself. And it was so magical and beautiful and was like, like you could still feel the residual energy from this 95 show. At least I could and in my connection to it. But and then I kind of got locked in the venue and I had to find my way out. But <laughs> that's another story. Uh, you you should have just gone to the rail and waited. Yes. You it. know, I was kind of considering that. I'm like, okay, could I just hide out in a bathroom? Like, is there some way? Like, am I going to get kicked out? Are they going to l- not let me go tomorrow? Like, it was just be like I'm a paying customer. I got a ticket. I can be here. Well, that was that was our um, five shows in six days run. And so that was the only night we didn't have a show. And we spent it in the parking lot of the next <laughs> show. <laughs> so technically. <laughs> I was like, are they going to take away my fan club rights? Uh, that's a great story. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. I mean, when do you get to do that? When do you get to be the only person in the room with all their stuff? And just having because I never had the opportunity. Well, I never probably will again either. Yeah. Magic. San Diego magic, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's pick three moments from this show. Deb, go first. Oh, geez. Just your I'm top three. Yeah. Top three moments? Top three. Whatever comes to your head first. Um, definitely. Know. Definitely opening with release and the purple lights and the drone and no space floating like 
seek help. That's not ever going to be changeable. Um, definitely my cathartic moment during rearview mirror and just the way that whole song broke down towards the end. And, um, for so very many, 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 many reasons, long road. I mean, I could do a whole episode just about that. (laughs) We'll bring you on the evolution episode. Oh, that song, man. All right, John, what do you got? All right. I'm going to go blood with ending the set with just, chaos banging on the drums <laughs> disintegrating like love that um i'm gonna say animal just like you mean like i said when we talked about you could feel the energy through the video they were just just ripping um and my number one not for you like thought mm. it was fantastic uh you get the original outro which they never do anymore which i no, love that's true um so that those those are my three um but yeah overall the show is fantastic like um i'm gonna go back and listen to it, watch it again good uh my three you know sometimes i kind of change my three after talking talking it out a little bit and i realize you know what may, maybe i like that better than what i just kind of wrote down um corduroy was on that because i just loved that outro to it that they were able to kind of jam and a lot of what's good that i like from this show is really uh jack stuff and jack motivated things like immortality and uh and rear mirror i think that those are part of the top three uh in some aspects but number one is long road for sure because you know this is a very early version of it um this is a sort of a side of the band that you don't see from 1995 and uh you can tell that they're tapping into what the future of the band is going to hold there so i think that's a pretty special moment so um corduroy rearview and long road would do that now now we get the chance to uh to rate it so uh I think I can guess what you would rate it out of 10, but I got to hear from the horse's mouth. For me? For you. Every show in the history of concert going for me, if it's ever titled the best show, there is the caveat that nothing will ever beat my first Pearl Jam show. It's got to be a 10. 10 out of 10. 10. Perfect absolutely fucking perfect to me and there's never been anything that that's ever beat it no there have been a couple things that have come close non-pearl jam related that have been just massively significant in their own right but nothing tool uh, i mean tool's amazing the vip that we did in pittsburgh me and my friend josh who i also (laughs) met through pearl jam um yeah, the VIP experience was worth every single penny. Tool's amazing. I love them. They're my easily second favorite band. But then um, there's another artist named Dessa. She's like a singer, writer, rapper from Minneapolis. And she did she did a few nights with the Minnesota Orchestra. And I got to be there for one of the shows a couple years ago. And then I took my daughter um, last year. Yeah, last year. And she recorded with them and released a record. And it like you don't see female rappers singing and rapping with a full orchestra backing them it was just it's a very beautiful thing but even that it's like 
that cannot take the number one spot away from Pearl Jam. Like I literally, dude, I fought for three years to get into that room. I was flying home from a family reunion out of state when I found out that the show was canceled. Like I had, uh, it was everything in me just to be in that room. That's all I wanted was to be in the room and then to be that close and have that kind of experience and go crowd surfing. You can't even do that anymore. Like, ugh, it's perfect. It's absolutely the glass ceiling that nothing else will ever smash through. Ever. And you got in a perfect era of the band and that's stars all aligned there. That's awesome. Completely. John, how do you follow that up? Ten, ten out of ten, man. I got, I got nothing. It's fuck yeah. I, I loved it. I like. I, I hope it's a vault show someday. I would love to own it on, on vinyl. But uh, oh god, me too. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, go watch the video. It's worth two and a half hours of your time. Absolutely. And look for my boot at seven fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do a rating on this, huh? Um, I like the show. I do. Um, I think this was really good. I don't think it defines their best 95 show. Um, but I think this was a really, really fun show to listen to. I don't know. And, you know, I kind of go on the best of the historical context from 95 being probably a soldier field of, of that elk. Uh, but I sort of, you know, it, it's, it's not too far behind where that was. So, I would probably give this, I'm going to give this an eight. I think this is up there. Really solid, really, really good show. Nothing. Uh, but, but, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll play back. We need, we, need Brandon's, uh, we need Brandon's sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play bad guy. I, I'm not, so I'm not giving it a ten. That's, I You're don't give it an eight. I'm giving it an eight because I like it. I I've, mean, been giving, I've been giving. I've been giving shows. An average really, of nine point three three between the three of us. So that's better average than most shows get on a episode basis. So I think we, uh, I think we accomplished something. I think we did. It would have been better for our average. Could have been ninety five, like nine point five. Uh, we missed the mark. Make it okay. like an eight point three. <laughs> I'm like, I'd have to do I the math. Say- I have to do the math really quick to figure out what you'd have to give it. <laughs> Can we make it a, a, a 9.5116 or something? Is there a, oh, a way that to, would be uh... perfect. Yes. See, your brain is going on the numbers. I don't wow. know. I'm not going to do the math for that right now, though. I'll accept your eight. I accept the 10 more, but I'll accept no, your eight. No, I, I accept the 10 <laughs> more. I, I, my rating doesn't really mean shit in the long run. I have to kind of, you know go on my pedestal and say this every episode that I wasn't if they, there. If I was they had played, if they had played Brain of J, he would have given it a 10, but no, it's not true. They didn't play Brain of J. I think, no, I think give I, a 10. I think it would have been much easier for him to give them a 10 for this show. If they had played it, especially considering that and mosquito were on the set list. Sure. Absolutely. I, I would mean, hope that that would, that would, but yeah, I mean, and you, you way. know, you don't get a lot of, you know, there's almost no B sides, you don't get a, a footsteps or uh, anything mm-hmm. like off of hard, no hard to imagine, no right, rare no songs wash, really. Yeah. But which is but funny you it's... mentioned that. I got the Jeremy Japanese import 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 that has um, footsteps and what else is on that one? The super skinny import. I got that at the Tower Records across the street from San Diego Sports Arena in like '92. Wow. 
Like that whole location is just like Pearl Jam Central to me. Is the sports arena still up? It's still up. It's not called the sports arena. It's called something else with a, I don't know. It's like a snow or some shit. Isn't there an Arco arena or is that, was that a couple of years ago? I don't even know about that one. Arco arena? Yeah. Yeah, no, this is like owned by a, um, like an Indian reservation or something now. So they'll have, they'll show like fights there or something, but no, the kids and I were in San Diego for something and. I was like, I have to go see the sports arena. Like, it's my little beacon in the darkness. <laughs> I have to go see it. But there's no sports team that plays there anymore. No. Oh, no. There hasn't yeah. been for a while. And they, don't yeah. even, they won't even do concerts there anymore either. Um, Deb, this has been uh, a really fun run down mem- memory lane. So uh, fun. Thank you, you for letting me chat about it. It's been you amazing. painted the perfect picture of everything and did i okay i thought i was gonna ramble (laughs) no no it was it was really you kind of you set the tone of what it was like to be a kid in 95 and have all of your expectations met and sort of just you know it's hard and and i kind of went through that little time there where i i was thinking as an adult and then had to step back and say wait you remember when you were 16 going to shows, what were your expectations? You weren't following set lists like you are now. Yeah, you didn't have any. That's, no, that's yeah, the no, difference. You didn't yeah. have an expectation. Nor did you really care. No. You, you were just kind of like, I like I like these songs. And yeah, I'm I get to be in this room. Yeah. And and so, too, when you're when you're that age, like shows like this become a part of you. Like this yeah. this shapes your your life as a person. Absolutely. It hits you at the right time and at the right place. Like I didn't see Pearl Jam until I was twenty, which is which is still fairly young, but you it just becomes like you said, different. it, it yeah. becomes the show like that experience becomes a part of you and it, it you take it with you forever. Absolutely. Yep. I'm Deborah McMurtry and I saw Pearl Jam for the first time November sixth, nineteen ninety five. Everybody knows that. Uh, again, Deborah, you uh, thank you for your patronage. Deborah is Absolutely. part of part of our Patreon group that we love so dearly. And if you want to come on a show like Deborah did just now, uh, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash live on four legs. You'll get access to all of our exclusive episodes, including the Bridge School episode that we recently released. We should have an Evolution episode out for you sometime in the future as well as maybe some outtakes from this show as well so again deborah thank you for coming on and doing this and sharing all your awesome stories thank uh you. this is any anytime we can do this again we'll do it yes please i have my microphone now <laughs> <laughs> i'm down perfect until until the next time we jeopardy <laughs> So thank you very much, Deborah, for recounting all of those great memories from 1995 and being a kid in that era. I can only imagine what it was like uh, to actually go to shows in that era, but uh, definitely your recounting painted the perfect picture for it. So that was awesome. Yeah, she was lucky. Like I didn't get a chance to see Pearl Jam, like I said, until I was 20 and by that time you know it was older it would have been so crazy to have been at that 94 show or you know we didn't get an atlanta show in 96 but yeah there's something about seeing them when you're that age that just hits you and like i said it was it's it really shapes you as a person but yeah it must have been so awesome i hopefully there are some kids out there that are going to be uh coming up on this tour they're going to get to see them too and it'll be just the same 
Yeah, I, I hope so. And look, we're at the generation now where kids that are 13, 14, 15 years old, their parents grew up with Pearl Jam, so they pass it down to their kids, and that's what they're listening to. And hopefully that's what's inspiring them to, to write music for the next generation coming forward. So, you know, we one can only hope, but uh, I... I would love to see, you know, a younger generation of of kids at this uh at the next tour. So, hopefully that's the case. Um, you want to talk about some big news? Yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about some big news. All right, we've kind of teased it in past episodes that we were going to have a really big guest on, and next week is the week. We are going to have probably the biggest guest that we've ever had on besides uh Brandon Palomo. Uh, <laughs> he, he's the love biggest you, guest that you, we'll ever have. Of course, but um, we are going to have on a fan who's been a fan from the very beginning, and you'll get to hear his story about, you know, just his love for the band and how, you know, his music and raising his family is is such an important part of his journey. And uh, if you are a lifelong wrestling fan, you will know this man and you will be very excited to hear his voice. We have the pleasure of having on Adam Copeland otherwise known as for all WWE fans and even maybe some people that don't really follow wrestling at all. He's known as edge. Uh, and he is a huge Pearl jam fan. And we were so lucky to talk to him and basically nerd out. And, uh, he's just like one of us. It's, it's going to be really a fun listen. If you are a wrestling fan or if you're not a wrestling fan, uh, this is going to be, this is going to be a can't miss episode. Yeah. I had, you know, I got to admit, I was not familiar with him before this. I, you know, I don't follow wrestling, but yeah, we had a good conversation. He, uh, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely a fan. He knows the stuff. Yeah. And, um, we talked a lot about, this episode that we're actually going to do next week, it, let me explain what we're going to do. So on Tuesday of next week, we're going to release, uh, we're going to call it Pearl Jam Profile, Fan Profile or something. So it's not called Interview because Interview is a little too formal. And we'll we'll do the, the episode on Edge on Tuesday. And then also on Tuesday, we're going to release a couple of out- outtakes to Patreon. So if you're on Patreon, you'll get a couple of really cool things. You know, just Edge continuing his conversation, some of his favorite songs, some of his uh, favorite moments and things like that. Uh, and on Wednesday, we're actually going to be doing Greenville 2016 because it gets talked about in this episode. And we'll save some bonus clips for that episode where Edge... Uh, talks about how he almost died on the night. <laughs> yeah, he and he and I were both there. Um, he and I actually been at a lot of the same shows. If you, that's we, pretty we figured cool. Out. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that was a. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun listen. He's he's definitely excited about it. I think he was, you know, like a lot of people, excited to talk to people who are fans like him because you know nowadays you like I mentioned you know you don't get you know, to talk Pearl Jam with all your friends like you did in the 90s. So I think he he was excited to nerd out with us just as much as we were with him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's such a down-to-earth and genuine person. You're going to, you know, I think most people, he's a pretty uh, talkative person. He had a podcast of his own, and most people kind of know him from being a wrestling personality. So, uh, you know, it's it's the same. It's basically the same as as you see him on TV or see him on his podcast. So uh, it's going to be a really good listen. So, again, Tuesday, we're going to release the interview with Edge, and we are also going to do some – Patreon extra clips 
that'll be up there. So if you're not on Patreon and want to hear the edge clips, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and subscribe. And then Wednesday at the normal episode time, we will be doing Greenville 2016. This is a shout out to Andrew Taylor, who uh, <laughs> has asked for it a bunch of times. And I made sure to email him saying we are doing it. Don't worry. Thank you for your patience. Oh, hope we made you proud, Andrew. Yep. So we, it was it was bound to happen at some point. I mean, it's the versus show, and John, you were there, and yeah, you know, it was on the rail. Yeah. So stars stars align, and they were gonna align no matter what. So uh, you know, I, this is the first this is the first show since you've been a host that we're doing something you went to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was great. So uh, get ready for that all that good stuff next week as we get on the hype train for 2020 and a lot of important stuff going on. And, you know, as time flies by, we're going to hear dance of the clairvoyant and all that cool stuff and maybe get some glimpses of other songs that are going to be on gigaton. So, uh, until then remember jeopardy jeopardy on our Facebook page, streaming live 9 PM Eastern tomorrow night on Thursday. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a lot of fun. So, With that being said, we are done. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always for Randy and John. And thank you very much, Deborah, our patron, for coming on this episode and basically describing her childhood, uh, um, you know, according to Pearl Jam. So hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you next week with a great uh, discussion with Edge and Greenville 2016. Ticketmaster still sucks.